Returning to the book of Ecclesiastes this morning, so far in this book, uh, we've seen Solomon's taken us with him on his quest to find meaning under the sun, and he can't seem to find it. Everything's vanity, he says. Everything's passing away, and all of men's pursuits in life just result in death anyway. He, he can't find anything of any lasting substance, nothing that really seems to matter, that has any eternal significance. Until now. Here's something we do that's not just passing away like a breath or a vapor. Let's read Ecclesiastes chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Now hear the words of the one true and living God. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business, and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity, but God is the one you must fear. Father in heaven, as we begin to look at your word this morning, I confess my unworthiness to preach it. God, I pray that, uh, that you would use your word to speak to your people, that any, any mistake of mine would be corrected, that it would be forgotten, and that all that would last is your word. We know that it does not return void. So I pray, Lord, that you would use me this morning to be able to bring your truth of your word to your people that we would not leave this place changed. In Jesus' name, amen. So yeah, again, here's something that's not just vanity, and it's how we approach God. That's the title of the sermon this morning, Approaching God. And spoiler alert, we don't do it lightly. We know we have access to God the Father through the sacrifice of his son Jesus, as David talked with us about earlier in the scripture lesson. We know that we have access by the power of the Holy Spirit. We know that we have access to the throne, and we know that the throne is a throne of grace, but it is also a throne of majesty. That's the main idea of the message this morning. The throne of grace is a throne of majesty. God is accessible to us, but he is devastatingly holy. Scripture describes God as, as a mother who, who gathers her chicks under her wings. The Scripture also describes God as a consuming fire. And, you know, we, we don't get to imagine him as one or the other and, and shape our understanding of him or our relationship to him and how we approach him based on the parts we like best about him. God is gracious and merciful but he is also frighteningly powerful 
and holy. And that's something we need to remember when we approach God. When we approach God in worship, when we talk to him and when we talk about him. You know, we can't really set sail on the subject this morning without thinking of the third commandment. You should not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And the third commandment is not just about blasphemy. There's some obvious ways we know you should not take the Lord's name in vain. But the, the third commandment's broader than just that expletive. It, it's about taking God's name, his word, and his works lightly. That's what the third commandment forbids. So that'll come up again, and that's something you can maybe hold on to as we work through this passage together. And the way that I'll be breaking these verses down is by looking at approaching God in, in, in public and approaching God in private. So approaching God in worship and prayer and just in our personal dealings with God, specifically on the subject of taking vows, like it says at the end there. And the main idea this morning again is the throne of grace is a throne of majesty. Our approach to God should not be taken lightly, and we, we come to God on his terms, not on our own. In worship and prayer and just generally how we address him, how we talk about him and how we talk to him. So let me just step on the landmine right out of the gate here and ask, how are you coming to church Sunday morning? How have you come into the house of God this morning? Are, are, are you guarding your steps and considering what it is that you're about to do? Are, are you considering whose presence you're coming into when we gather like this? Is there, is there a reverence and an awe of God's majesty? The last thing I want you to do is to manufacture some feelings and, and, and put on a, a mask or a costume that you think you're supposed to wear when you come to church. Don't, don't do that. That's, that. that's not what we're talking about here. It, don't put on a game face to come to church. But do consider God's holiness and that his worship is not something to be taken lightly. It's heavy. And that certainly doesn't mean that it has to be all sad and somber. It can be joyful, but the one thing it cannot be is light. It's heavy. You know, again, that doesn't mean it's not cheerful. It just means it's serious. And, and we, need to be, we need to be able to remind ourselves of that. It's a good thing to come prepared for worship. You know, I, I mean, we can't disagree with that, right? I mean, preparation uh, for, for any activity actually helps us enjoy the activity more. I can't think of a, can't think of a situation where that's not the case. I mean, an example, I, I enjoy cooking quite a bit uh, on occasion, and one of the reasons I enjoy it so much, I think, is because by the time I'm actually cooking, I, I've got 
it drives Amanda crazy too. I'll have like 14 little bowls or ramekins or whatever with all the stuff all chopped up and already in all the individual things. So by the time it's time to cook, I'm just throwing things in. Now, one thing that she appreciates about that, though, is that I, it, somehow I can always get it all on the table at the exact same time. Now, I wouldn't be able to do that, of course, if it were not for the preparation. In fact, I'd, I'd probably get really frustrated with cooking and, and not enjoy it at all. But the preparation lets me get the most out of it. There's something similar about preparing to worship God that lets us get the most out of it. Showing up is a start. Becoming prepared, there's something about that. We give you a moment to do that at the beginning of the service each Sunday. That's a, that's a good thing. We need that moment. But it'd be good to start when you wake up in the morning, right? And listen, I know it's a struggle to get to church on Sunday, especially with small children. That's, that's real, and nobody's expecting, uh, nobody's saying you've got to be all stoic and, and, and perfectly behaved. There's no need for fake plastic smiles and all of that. But there's something about coming to worship that we have to recognize is different than going to a ball game or going to the movies. Isn't there? And it's a good thing to begin the day knowing where it is that we're going to go. It's a good thing, uh, possibly, that the night before we go to bed thinking about what it is we are going to do in the morning. It's that kind of thing. You know, so being prepared, guarding your steps when you go to the house of God is taking some time. And, you know, that might be a few minutes, it might be an hour, it might be longer, I don't know. But it's taking some time to remind yourself you are coming to worship your God and King. You're coming before your great high priest, right? Well, what do priests do? We heard earlier. They offer sacrifices. Sacrifices for what? Your sin. And Jesus, the great high priest, offered once the perfect sacrifice for you, and it was himself. Your sin separated you from God. No access. And now your guilt's removed because Jesus took it for you. Because he did, you are united to God. You are able to approach God. Now all I'm suggesting is that that frame of mind and that heart attitude as we come to worship reminds us that this is where heaven and earth meet every week. There's so much more for you here on Sunday morning than maybe you realize. And so what I'm suggesting is that by, by preparing ourselves mentally, spiritually, and emotionally, it helps us to have a realization of that. And so, the, you know, this isn't some legalistic works righteousness. It's just appropriate. And it, it just seems like a helpful practice that fits the occasion, doesn't it? Solomon says it's better to come with anticipation rather than to just go through the motions. He says at the end of verse 1, to draw near, to listen, is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. 
So now because Jesus was sacrificed once for us, we don't bring animals to church with us to, to sacrifice them, right? But, but they did. Back then they did. And Solomon says it's better that you come empty-handed and ready to receive than to come bringing all the stuff and just going through the motions. He actually calls that a great evil. When we come to worship God, our hearts and our minds and our, our wills are engaged. And that doesn't come naturally to us, right? That just doesn't come naturally to us. We're easily distracted. So some intentionality on the front end before we ever get here would be good for us. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. That's from the Shema, Deuteronomy 6. And, and, and it, you know, what we see there is all of all three, don't we? All of all three, all your heart. And you know, the Hebrew word for heart, where the Hebrew's understanding of the heart was it, was it was the center of your very being. It was the essence of being. With all of that, with all of your being, with all of, you, all of your, your breath, your nefesh, the breath of life, that's what that word means, with every breath you take, with all of your might, with all of your muchness, your best, your vigor, that's how we come. That's how we approach God. And y'all, I'm well aware of the dangers we can fall into of, of becoming like the Pharisees who were all about looking super spiritual and appearing really holy in front of men. They, they thought what they did was acceptable to, to God, not recognizing that the only one acceptable to God is Jesus Christ and, and his righteousness on our account, and that we can only have that through faith. They, they missed that. They were what we would call legalistic. But listen, the only way you fall into a trap of legalism and, and what it is that we're talking about here this morning is if you base your performance on who you are and what you're about instead of who God is and what he's about. God is never going to be pleased with some external form of, of formalism or piety. That's never going to cut it. It's not what's being suggested at all. That's what the Pharisees had, and it was empty. God searches and knows hearts. So the question on the table is, what's the condition of your heart as you come to worship God? And the way we find out is to ask, isn't it? Yeah. Ask the Holy Spirit. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there is any grievous way in me. And y'all, that's a really good thing to ask God as we prepare to come and worship him. To ask him to, to tune our instrument before we come in here playing it for him. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God, he says. Come expectantly with anticipation. Draw near, Solomon says, and listen. Listen. Not because of who is speaking. You know, not, not, not because I'm speaking or someone else is speaking or, or, or any of that. It, it, 
if, or, or, or because of how eloquently spoken it is, but because of who it is that we're speaking to you about. You know, I certainly hope that you're satisfied with my preaching. I would hate to think that I'm doing a poor job for you. That would bother me. But here's what would concern me more, is that you are not hearing from the full counsel of God's word. That's what's important. And it reminds me, Paul says in, in 1 Thessalonians 2, where he's, he's saying that uh, y'all heard the word of God from us, but we praise God that you recognized that, that it wasn't the word of men, but you recognized it for what it truly was, the word of God. And it's at work in you believers, he says at the end of that verse. It's verse 13. So we draw near and we listen, and we listen expecting to hear from God. Expecting to hear from God. Solomon plants a stake in the ground here on this point, y'all, and it's not... It's, it's the only firm ground he's really found so far, isn't it? How we approach God is not trivial. This one matters. It's not vanity. Finally, something Solomon finds that has lasting significance. And it's how we approach God. Because God is eternal. He opens up the topic of approaching God by how we approach him in public, and then he quickly transitions to how we, how we approach God uh, personally, in, in, in prayer. He says not to be rash with our words or hasty to speak, in verse 2, that our words should be few. You know, as I was, as I was working through this message, reminder, they cut through me before they come to you. I thought of the question, and I asked myself this question, I'm going to ask you, how little do we know about God because we simply don't ask? How little do we know about God? Because we simply don't ask. Sometimes in our prayers, we treat God like a bulletin board that we, we pin all of our hopes and dreams on, don't we? Or like a wishing well we keep tossing coins into. And then we, then we turn away, we walk away, and we forget we ever threw anything in in the first place. That's vanity. That's pointless. In prayer, we have a sit-down with God. He's personal. We ask him to fill us with his spirit, and his spirit is wise and discerning. He's comforting and healing. But if our prayers are just throwing darts at God, an endless list of supplications, we miss all that. At some point, we just got to Shut up and sit quietly with God. And look, if you know you're guilty of that, all right, you're not alone. I, I'm guilty of that too. I've, I've done the same exact thing. I was convicted of that as I was preparing this message. What's been a great blessing, though, is as a result of having worked through this and thinking about it, I've been shushing myself in prayers, just slowing down not feeling the need to keep talking and then ending my prayer when I run out of things to say. And it's been good just to be still and to be with God. We don't just rattle off words. We shouldn't be rushed or rash or hasty, Solomon says there. Let your words be few, 
For a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. And I got thinking Proverbs 16, 9. Remember, we're sprinkling Proverbs in. Solomon wrote a lot of those too. They, they line up a lot with what he's talking about here. Proverbs 16, 9 says, Man plans his way, but the Lord guides his steps. You've heard that one? Man plans his way, but the Lord guides his steps. Do we want to be guided? Don't we want to be guided? Or do we just want to go to God in prayer to tell him what it is we're going to do next? Prayer is hanging out with God. And there are things that we can learn about him and about ourselves and about other people when we just hang out. The Holy Spirit brings things to mind he wants us to pray for that, we might, that might not have been on our list initially when we just slow down and listen. When we aren't so busy talking and we just listen, the name of someone we need to reach out to and check on or offer some encouragement those names begin to come to mind. And sometimes he may even convince us that we don't need the thing we were coming to pray for in the first place. He brings our real concerns to mind and he reveals our desires and he can mold our thoughts so that when we leave and go about our day, he has made an impression on us. We don't want to leave without having been impressed by God. Do we? When you pray, your mind can think, your lips can move, and you still wouldn't have prayed at all. Some of you are like, man, that sums up my prayer life. I, I hear you. Others of you object, you might say, yeah, but the Holy Spirit makes our imperfect prayers perfect. And, and I would say, yes and amen, he does, he does that. But do you want a richer communion with God in prayer or not? It, it, it's there for you. you. You can have it. And we're not talking about striving for it. We're not talking about earning it. We're talking about slowing down, shutting up, and listening. That's not hard. That's easy. That, that's not work. You know, it's not work to, to let your friend get a word in edgewise. That's just how conversations go. Let God speak to you. You know, I, know I, I realize the more reformed you, you are in your theology, the more you may raise an eyebrow at me saying, let God speak to you. Be rest assured, I'm about as drag your face across the gravel reformed as they come. Okay? So I'm not saying the sky opens up and an audible voice drops out of heaven and God speaks to you that way. It's clear from Scripture. He speaks to us in his word. But the Holy Spirit, what does, what does Scripture describe that the Spirit does? He indwells us. He guides us. He leads us. He moves us. He prompts us. He leads us. He he pushes us in certain directions, gives us little pokes and prods, and he is personal. He is not impersonal. It means something that we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, and Scripture says that we are. And we know that because we are, he is directing us. He is guiding us. He's making us more and more into the image of Christ. That's what he's doing. He's at work in us, personally. And, and 
side note, we can know then that uh, he's not going to lead us to do what does not make us more like Christ. So, you know, if, you, if you're thinking, well, you know, I just think God's really calling me to leave my wife. No, he's not. Or, you know, to, to, to cheat somebody out of something or, or, or to lie just this once. No, he's not. That's your sinful flesh talking. It's not the devil either. You leave him out of this. That's your sinful flesh talking. You are not indwelled by Satan. You're indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And because you are, he will lead you. And the way that he leads you is personal. He leads you, Brian. He leads you. He leads you, Sam. You. He knows you and he leads you where he wants you to go. Slow down. Stop rambling in prayer. Be still and listen. Let him lead. You follow. Try that out. Let not your heart be hasty to utter a word before God says, uh, Solomon says in verse 2, he says, uh, for, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Solomon just put us in our place right there, didn't he? Reminds us that God is not our equal. Reminds us that the throne of grace is also a throne of majesty. But all the same, y'all don't miss this, okay? The way to the throne is open to you in prayer. The way, to you, the, the way to the throne is open to you in prayer. Because of Jesus' sacrifice for you, the way is open. Not just, to the, not just to the Father's throne, to the Father's heart that's open to you. Solomon says there at the end of verse 3 again about prayers not being about many words. Two things are true here. One is that a short prayer where the heart and the tongue are engaged the whole time is, is better than a long, wordy, unfelt prayer. Fewer earnest words are better. But what we shouldn't take away from this, okay, is that short prayers are always better than long prayers because of their brevity. That's, that, that's, that's not there. Okay? Quality is, is, is more important than quantity. That's the point. We shouldn't, we shouldn't read, let your words be few, and think that God is wearied by our many words, or that he's too busy to listen to us go on and on, pouring our heart out before him for hours when we need to. He, he is. He's, he's there for that. He's all for it. But we should take care that while our Father delights in hearing our prayers, his throne of grace is also a throne of majesty, majesty and we should approach him with reverence, with respect, and with awe. God is not our equal. The next verses, four through seven, talk about vows specifically. So we'll talk about vows specifically too. But what's in view here generally overall is how we approach God, how we just generally approach God. It shouldn't be trivial or flippant. It, we shouldn't take God's name in vain, right? We shouldn't take his name, his word, and his works lightly. And we need to recognize we approach God on his terms and not our own. Okay, and so in the context 
of the book, all right, if we look at where we are right now in light of where we've been, remember Solomon went on and on and on about how frivolous all of life seems, and then he reminds us that while it may seem that way to us, God is sovereign, and everything happens according to his plan and according to his, his perfect timing. But then Solomon, he sort of plays like devil's advocate for a minute, right? And he's like, well, if that's true, if he's in control, then why all of the bad things? Why evil? So this topic of how we approach God, coming into view where it does in the book in light of where we've already been, is a lot like what Paul says in Romans 9, when he says, who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Does not the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another vessel for dishonorable use? That's God's prerogative. We have to be careful and remember we're, we're finite and fallible beings. God is eternal. We're, we're, we're finite, fallible beings approaching an eternal and holy God. That being the case, making a vow specifically with God is very serious business. We don't enter into that lightly. We can't be flippant with our speech. We can't, we use God's name carefully and we don't take it in vain, like we've already said, you know, third commandment stuff. We treat his name, his word, and his works with reverence and respect. We don't say, I swear to God, in order to emphasize whatever it is we're about to say next. We don't do that. We don't do that. Whatever it is we swear to God, it better be something that is very clear from scripture he wants for us to do that it's important enough to swear in the first place and that we can actually pull it off we also don't bargain with God we don't negotiate with God it's not an appropriate way to approach God we don't say God if you will then I will we don't do, we don't do that God if you'll just deliver me from the financial trouble that I'm in right now, or if you will just heal me of this sickness or this disease or whatever else it is, then I will sell all my possessions and, and give them to the poor and, and support missionaries. It doesn't work that way. We don't do that. We don't go to God and say, God, if you will, then I will. Who do you think you are? We say, God, you have... And so I will. God, you have already called me out of darkness into marvelous light. You have already sacrificed your son for my sins that I may be united with you. And for that reason, Lord, I pledge. That's okay. You can do that. But you better be sure you can pull it off. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. If you think there's a chance you can't or you won't, don't vow in the first place. That's what he says there, verse 5. It's better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. So, y'all, as we're looking at these verses, I would humbly suggest to you it would be wise for you not to obligate yourself to God for something that he has not obligated you to. 
more than likely you don't have the ability or the strength or the length of days to be able to pull it off. You don't want to end up regretting it later, right? Like it says in verse 6 where where, where he says, let not your mouth lead you into sin and do not say before the messenger, it was a mistake. It's too late then, right? The Hebrew word for messenger, all all throughout the Bible, this isn't just like in this passage case, it's the same word for angel. And so you gotta use, you got to use some context to kind of figure out what it is that we're talking about here. It, it could, in this case, be uh, about the priest in the temple if we're still uh, tracking with the whole house of God thing like he started with. Or he could actually be talking about an actual angel pronouncing judgment on the sin of not paying the vow. It could go either way. But either way, the point is the same. Don't let your mouth write checks to God that you can't cash. For why should God be angry at your voice? This is the rest of that same verse. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? Verse 7. For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity, but God is the one you must fear. You get the idea here. God takes no pleasure in being angry with your voice. He doesn't desire to destroy the work of your hands. But seeing as how he can... He's totally powerful enough to do it. It'd be wise for you to fear him and regard him as holy and not play around with the way you talk to God. Take care with how you approach God. We have access to his throne, and his throne is a throne of grace, but it is also a throne of majesty. Grace, y'all, demands gratitude. And sincere gratitude can be anything but casual. We can actually offend God. We've, we've seen this, these verses as we've talked about this. We can offend God by approaching God in a really lackadaisical way. Or, or with this pharisaical sort of pious talk. Both are an offense to God. He searches and knows hearts. Wrapping up where we started, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Don't write that off as an Old Testament thing, y'all. It's easy to do that sometimes. Don't write that off as an Old Testament thing. Yes, we know that they they used to worship in the tabernacle and in the temple, and we don't anymore. The temple curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. We know that we have free access through the blood of Christ, but remember what that access cost. There it is. Remember the threshold to the throne room of God was heavily guarded. Purity and consecration were required to enter. You couldn't go in. What that means for us in the new covenant when we talk about guarding our steps as we go to the house of God is to remember that Christ's blood was the price for your admission. No blood, no access. God is closed off to you if you don't have the blood of Christ. Closed off. Inaccessible. The demand for perfect righteousness to approach God and to come into his presence still stands today. Didn't go anywhere. The same righteous standard exists. 
And Jesus meets that requirement. Only Jesus meets that righteous standard. And, and his access then to the throne, his worthiness of coming before God belongs to you by grace through faith. And that grace begets gratitude. And that gratitude begets a reverence, an awe. The throne of grace is a throne of majesty. We approach him as our father. He allows us to approach him as our father. But he's also the father of our King Jesus who paved our way to him in blood. If there's, a, if there's a, a red carpet rolled out for us to come unto God, it is stained with the blood of Christ. And y'all, we don't lament that. I want to remind you. We don't lament that. We don't lament Jesus' death on Sunday mornings. We're not Catholics. We don't look at Jesus up on the cross and cry. He's not on the cross anymore. He is risen and he is seated at the right hand of God the Father in heaven, ruling and reigning with power and authority. That's where he is. We don't lament the price he paid for our access. We celebrate it. That's what we do here on Sunday. But true celebration isn't just showing up and raising a glass. True celebration is birthed out of a desire in our hearts and an anticipation to be where the celebration is happening. If you're not particularly excited about being here at church this morning, for God's sake, don't fake it next week. Don't fake it next week. Preach the gospel to yourself. Remind yourself of these truths throughout the week. Maybe Saturday night as you go to bed, even if it's last minute when you're on your way here in the car Sunday morning, just remind yourself. Remind yourself of the price he was willing to pay in order for you to come. See if you don't overflow with gratitude. See if your heart doesn't just overflow with gratitude and that you, you genuinely smile. Knowing you have the privilege of approaching God. Let's pray. Our Father, you are holy, righteous, good, and true. You're all wise and all powerful. We know your judgments are good and your Mercies toward us are unmerited. The heavens and the earth and all that are in them testify to the glory of your name. You are far above all your creation and yet near to us because of your steadfast love for your people whom you have adopted by your grace and whom you allow to call you Father. You are our Father. We have privilege and position and access to you, and you delight in hearing the requests of your children, and you delight to see them finding their joy and fulfillment in you and your pleasure. Delight yourself in us and us in you. Let us come before you as little children in need and in want, but let us not come to you in prayer to change your mind, but that you may change our desires. Let us come to you in prayer to be with you 
and not to take something from you. May our chiefest desire be to be in your presence, to rejoice that you dwell among us, and to rejoice with gladness that we will be with you forever. In Jesus' name, amen.